IMF came out today and raised their uh, outlook for growth for this year from 2.9% to 3.1%. And they did it on the view that the U.S. and the strength of the U.S. and also what we talked about yesterday, which is the uh, that China seems to be taking the steps to provide support to the system that are going to put a floor in on China. So I think that sets us up for a better uh, move into the uh, 24, even though it's going to be a volatile and bouncy ride. And uh, they did cite the obvious risks that are out there of war expanding in a few other areas. So today I'd like to talk about productivity because that's going to be one of the keys to pushing everything forward and also that's productivity's impact on policy. So let's jump right into it. Um, while I was doing this, I ended up going down a rabbit hole researching for these things, and I came across the origins of the word robot, which I was surprised was, uh, according to uh, the sources, was uh, first appeared in a play in 1920, which is a little surprising to think of. Uh, they were thinking about robots back then, but it does come right after the uh, board was really automating the production lines and what that was going to do to workers and, and the like. Uh, but it comes from the word robota, the Czech word robota, or forced labor. And uh, I just thought I'd share that little tidbit as we came across. So you, if you come across it, robots are going to be a big part of the future in terms of manufacturing production, a big part of how we drive productivity forward. But I want to look at productivity in the U.S. going back since the World War II. And what you saw is a big push up in productivity after the war through the 70s. And then we hit the oil crisis. And then you start to see things go back down. And the U.S. hit a, hit a tough run there. And it was a long slog, really, to get productivity back up until what happened in the mid-90s, and we start to see the tech boom taking off. And that led us to, forward in a pretty uh, important way. But then we had the problems of the financial crisis, and you started to see the problems starting to build, and we were getting less productive. The way to look at this chart is the uh, total factor, factor productivity is viewed in economics as a, uh, as a formula for uh, determining the impact of technology on workers' productivity. And you can see it's ebbed and flowed. And I think we're about to enter a new stage where you're going to see one of the biggest uh, total factor productivity moves uh, that we've seen in some time. And it will take a little bit of buildup with, with generative AI, but that's going to accelerate the process considerably, which is why people are freaking out right now about the impact. And this is the issue. It's the fear of job loss. It's the fears of job loss. And is it appropriate? And I think in some areas it is, and in others it's not. I think that's the way you have to look at it. We're going to have to figure out policies that are going to drive, uh, take care of those people that are negatively impacted and help others. But it's going to have a bigger impact in the uh, developed markets and it will in the emerging markets. And I think that's going to play out over some time. And you're starting to see that in the protests with truckers and, uh, uh, and farmers and the like worrying about what the future is and how they're getting uh, taken care of. And I think this is leading to some real challenges in policy and you're starting to see that play out with some concerns by the central banks this week as they're reporting. And I'll probably be completely wrong because the Fed goes tomorrow and the, EC, uh, the Bank of England goes on Thursday. But my suspicion is that they're going to pause now and more likely wait before they start to get aggressive on raising rates. And I think the reason is a couple fold. Here you can see shipping costs. We've talked about this because what's going on in the Gulf are on the rise. And it's hard to determine how long this will last, but it feels like this is uh, not going to have as quick a resolution as everyone would like. And that's going to see some continued pressure on, on inflation. And that's something that the uh, central bankers are, are worried about. But there's another concern, particularly for the ECB and others, which is, and this is a European issue, but negotiated wages in Europe, wages in Europe 
were up 4.9% last year and are going to go higher this year. And that's a pretty big move as you go back through the last, uh, back to 2014. And negotiated wages different in Europe than they are in the U.S. because in the U.S. labor uh, unions represent only about uh, under 10% now of the workforce. In Europe, it's a much bigger number because of uh, the presence of unions and also the labor laws. And one of the concerns that is weighing on the central bank is what I'm going to show you next. The pay of 40% of the employees covered by the wage tracker have yet to be determined because they were covered by collective bargaining agreements either expired last in December or expiring now. And one of the big areas is the auto workers. And the auto workers are looking for 21% wage increases similar to what the U.S. got. And this is coming at a time that the government's already stretched, providing subsidies and having energy problems and trying to make the energy transition going on. There's only so much money that can go around. And, and the subsidies going to workers and going to pe the populations of Europe are really high and they're going to have to be cut back. It's part of the problem with uh, holding back the investments or uh, the spending that, that Ukraine needs right now is there's limited choices of how much there's limited resources against all the needs that are out there. So I think this is one of the things that's weighing on the ECB. If they go too fast in cutting rates, are they going to spur more inflation at a time that they think more is on the horizon or potentially on the horizon that they have to worry about? So this is a pretty interesting number when you think about uh, that's a lot of workers that haven't been put into those wage increases. And how does that flow through? And what does that mean to earnings? And is this part of the reason why you'll start to you're seeing a lot of European companies moving their assets over to the U.S. And, and other areas so that they can get lower cost and better product, better productivity as a result. I think you're seeing that in consumer price changes, and we had that big spike up. But if you notice on the far right here, that little tick up that you can see in this uh, last couple months is while the inflation fight is being won, it's not done yet. And I think that's the big issue that they're worried about in Europe, they're worried about the Fed, and they're also worried about at other central banks around the world. So let's go to the odds of a rate cuts. Um, we still think the market's been way too aggressive. They've gotten it wrong almost every time in how they think about uh, rate cuts. The Fed dot plot is really just a what each uh, member of the, of the Board of Governors views from their seat, the economic data that they see prior to the meeting, and they put it on a plot and that's what goes. It is not the policy. It is the inputs into the policy for the Fed. So I think the market got ahead of themselves. I think they're expecting big rate, uh, rate cut in March. I don't believe that's going to happen. It, I could be surprised, but I think what the real issue for the Fed right now is this is an election year and the Fed does, is not a political body. So to avoid being viewed as a political body, they will have to figure out a way if they need to make rate cuts, how to do it so it doesn't look political. And I would just suggest that there's a likelihood of two or three cuts, but not this time, maybe starting in May or in the summer and ending before the end of the summer that would allow them to say they've taken some steps if the data shows that they need to and give some airspace between the election and uh, the time they end cuts. And then the day after the election, there is a Fed meeting, which would allow them to add another rate cut or rate cut in if required. And I think that would get them on their track for three rate cuts or four rate cuts this year if they so choose and avoid some of the political heat that would come along with that. So. 
you know, we talked a lot about opportunities to find where to invest in the private and public markets. And I, and I think there's too much made of private or public where it should be private and public in the sound, in the form of a good asset allocation strategy. And a lot of the opportunities that will work in the private space will also work in the public space with different return levels, but far greater liquidity. And as I think we found out over the last couple of years, liquidity really does matter or it really doesn't matter until it matters. And I think that's the issue that people are finding. And when you go from zero to 5%, that's when it starts to matter. And as anyone who's doing fundraisers right now, wishes they had the zero interest rates to do it and, and then doing it at 5%. I think that's the reality we're in. So it's gonna mean that the market is gonna be more focused and more narrow and continue to focus on the areas where people see the needs and where you see growth, because we're gonna be in a low growth environment globally 3% is, is decent growth, but it's not enough to deal with some of the other problems that we're facing today, such as the massive debt loads that we have. And when you have growth below the rate of uh, debt increase and the rate of uh, the rates on debt, you have to get that in balance if you ever want to get out of the debt trap that is building up right now. So we love the semiconductor area. There's a lot of talk about what happens in Taiwan and, and how we move forward there. We think we're in the early stages of what's going on with generative AI and the needs for, for chips and all that. Yes, the auto industry is going through their fits and starts and other areas, but tech is going to drive the productivity change. And different, I think, than in the last couple of years, over the next couple of years, you'll see it broadening out to industries where you're thinking about the impact of tech, not of owning the tech companies, but owning the, the companies that are able to integrate the technology to improve their productivity and uh, grow markets and grow, grow earnings. Industrial companies can continue to be the beneficiaries, particularly in the U.S., of the reindustrializations. We're sucking a lot of capital out of the rest of the world. And aside from the wage issue, Europe has an energy crisis that they're dealing with right now as they're going through this transition. The U.S. has a different energy crisis. We're slower to make the energy transition, but we're flush with, with energy. And you're seeing some changes going on today. The, yesterday, the Saudis announced they're going to delay the uh, opening of a new plant to limit supplies. BP was attacked yesterday by a uh, activist who's suggesting that they move a billion and a half dollars of renewable uh, spend to the fossil fuel side for their capex because they believe what they're telling the company is they believe that the company knows that they won't be able to get the energy transition until 2050 and they're being irresponsible to their shareholders for not doing that. BP is pushing back on that, but they have a new CEO and he's going to be in the hot seat for a while. So you can see the fits and starts that are going on here. But energy security for businesses is a big issue. And lowering their energy costs is going to continue to be a big issue. So we love the companies that are playing in those areas, but also industrials where the defense companies are. And the world is not getting any safer. Um, I think we need to continue to spend on defense. Europe is getting pushed to spend more. And I think that area is going to continue to be a, a big opportunity. I think industrial commodities, rare earth, steel, and copper are going to continue to be important areas of investment for national security as well as for corporate security and for growth. And we are seeing a bifurcation of the global economy and the access to China rare earths may be declining. Uh, they've already pulled back in their uh, allowing some of the technologies to refine rare earths being put out to the rest of the world. Freeport announced on their recent earnings call that they see the uh, copper going into supply, going into deficit uh, in 2024. China's been reopening, has messed up how the commodities have performed. But I think we're getting to a point now with China bottoming and the stimulus coming in that you might see the industrial sector move up. But I can tell you in the steel area in the U.S., we have more demand than we have access to steel right now. And that will continue to be a big area. 
and the steel companies, Cliffs reported today, they announced that they lowered their production costs by $30 uh, on each of their uh, units. And I guess it's $30 a ton, but that's big money to them is for the amount of production they're doing. I think there's a smart way to play the fossil fuel and renewable transition that is not negative to it, but we have to work in tandem to make the transition work. We need better policies towards renewables. We need to also manage the transition so that you don't have the mismatches like we've seen in the early stages of the rollouts and the disappointments we had with solar and some of the other areas where it had these bits and starts that got overvalued and it pulled back into better valuations. Healthcare is one of the biggest areas where AI is going to play through and we're seeing their ability to identify uh, new opportunities to lower costs and improve outcomes. And that's going to be a game changer for us in, in our health and how we live and then quality dividend payers. But there was a lot of talk yesterday about you know, how do you play the markets? Where are you looking? I want to just share with you one of our strategies and uh, we're lowering the uh, energy weighting here. Uh, but we do have a, a weighting to fossil fuels and renewables in this area. Um, but you can see where the market is on energy is only 3.8% in the S&P. For materials and mining, it's 0.6. And for aerospace and defense, it's uh, 1.6. These are essential areas for the economy to move forward and to make the transitions we need to make. And you can get them in a very simple ETF portfolio. And I was pleased to hear from Bill Deutler's survey that the families are now starting to look at the public equities again. And I think there's a great opportunity to do it in a very liquid way that complements what you're doing on the private side. I'd be happy to talk to you about this strategy, which has returned just shy of 15% annually over the last seven years, which isn't too shabby a, a result for a uh, eight, eight ETF portfolio. So Mark, with that, I'll stop and open it up for discussion and hopefully we can hear the questions as well as we'd like. Thanks, Stephen. So, questions, um, comments? If, if, if I may, Mark. You may. There we go. So, Stephen, what, what's, the, um, uh, what's the ticker for the ETF? Uh, the, we actually ro roll that up. Sean rolls that up into a strategy. So, it's a separate account strategy using ETFs for the underlying investment. Ah, but, okay. Uh, if you ask for the deck, we can send you the deck and get you the individual names we're using there. But it's, we go from five to ten exchange traded funds to execute it, so you get massive liquidity, the big name players uh, that we're using, and it's low cost. So it's a very efficient way to get the exposures. Got it. Also, um, and, I, Andy I heard, and, and oh, just sorry, on that bill, we do take it down to subsectors, which is one of the differences. Now, the the great thing about the way the ETF market is working, you don't just have to buy the sector. You can get very specific in your in your exposures. And I think that's one of the things we, we really focus on. Uh, uh, Stephen, just um, Andy? Yeah, so, so Stephen's comment on the Fed cuts, it's historic tradition that the Fed does all its cuts in election year uh, early on and does nothing near the election. That's That's almost an unwritten rule. But Stephen, a question, and maybe it'll help everybody, is productivity as produced is a simple Mark, measure. I can't hear. You can't hear? Yes, Stephen? You Someone can. else can hear. Maybe just have to keep mind. I can, I can hear. I can come over there then. Why don't you sit? Yeah. Uh, Stephen, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Sit right here. Yes? One, one second. Stephen's going to jump over here. 
<clears throat> Sorry, Andy. No, 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 no problem at all. Uh, so uh, um, I, I was just saying that your your comment on on Fed cuts, it's tradition that they don't cut. They don't cut. They cut early. Um, but the question is, and maybe for everybody else will help, is productivity when when the you measure charts is put up is is simply GDP um, versus hours worked. Maybe you could qualify that for everyone in the context of all the conversation we're having, you know, with technology and automation and AI. I mean, people are thinking that, but the but the Fed, uh, uh, the, the Bureau of Economic Analysis just divides hours worked by GDP. Yeah, t yeah, technology is hard to capture in the numbers. It's always been a problem for the for the governments. How do you measure the real impact of productivity? Um, I think the way the way we look at it is really if you go back even to the uh, to when Ford rolled out their pr the production line um, idea, the concept, everyone was worried what that was going to do. And what it really did was lower cost. And it allowed them to uh, everyone was worried about the job loss. It changed the jobs. And I think that's what we're, we're dealing with is uh, things will shift. Um, I think hours worked is a big issue. And uh, that will come down as robots as technology goes up. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of pressure on governments to come out with the right tax policy. Uh, and how do they provide support? I think it'll lead to pressures for uh, uh, companies to look at universal guaranteed incomes. I think it'll look, you'll have to look at taxing technology differently uh, to get the lost revenues as workers are displaced. Um, but I think those are the changes we see. And I'm not sure I answered your question the right way. So, and Andy, if you want to elaborate on where you were coming from, I, um, I think I'm having trouble hearing it. I missed it a little bit. You're on mute. You're on mute. I was, no, that's perfect. I was pointing out that the chart is a simple division. Yes, it's straight oh, good, Mark, math. Good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hours work versus GDP, and I wanted you to elaborate because the chart doesn't reflect a lot of the things that we're talking about. But it, you did fine. That was fine. Yeah, it's 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 demographics and and, uh, and productivity, right, are the two things that drive GDP, uh, yep. population growth and productivity growth. We're having a population decline in the globally or starting to see one, uh, and that's going to be a mismatch. That's where it helps, but we're in we're going to be in a, out of whack for a little bit. And I think that's what happens when you're in transitions of the magnitude we're in. And I think there's those just, frustrations are actually flowing through to the social issues as well. I'm just saying there's no chart for the topics we're talking about that I know of, at least. Yep. No, no. Other questions or comments? Where do you see yeah. a business opportunity for this? Where do I see the business opportunity? Say, say it again. Sorry, I was asking, where does he see the business opportunity in all of this? You mean investment opportunity? Yeah, it's where I said, I think the ones we talked about, private and public, the opportunity is going to be similar. Um, and it's really in the areas of, it's how tech permeates into corporations. And I think the issue for corporations is going to be, what is their ability to, um, to make the investments they need to make and when many companies are battling massive debt problems. And I think that's when we talked yesterday about the haves and have nots, I mentioned there's the inc the income inequality for, for people, you have corporate inequality. I think the corporate inequality comes from who has the big debt burdens that will choke off their ability to make the investments they need to improve their productivity and they end up in a death spiral. And I think there's a significant portion of the economy of markets that are gonna see companies struggling like that. 
um, which will lead to either them hiving off businesses, more M&A, or businesses just going away. Well, here, here, so as a follow-up to that. Be loud, loud, sorry. So as a follow-up to that, do you think that you're going to have a situation where some of this, if they don't, if the businesses don't pivot, right, and let's say supply chain, and this becomes a national security concern, do you think the government's actually going to possibly step up and invest into some of these businesses in order to prop them up to make these transitions? Well, you heard from General Tata. I, I don't believe so, no. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, we'll we'll bail out a couple of strategic industries like we did with the autos if it gets that bad. Um, but beyond anything that's strategic, no. I think the free market is going to so take care of the problem. Consider strategic industries particularly. Well, I think I think that uh, I think you the chips are strategic. I think the defense industry is strategic. I think energy is strategic. I think you're, those, you're, those are the three. The, right. Those are just the three off the top of my head. I think there there are other. Uh, the airlines are another one. If you look at China's, China gave a, gives a five-year plan and they update it and they list their strategically vital industries. Ours are going to be very similar. We're, we're rivals. We're setting up a rival world and you'll see alignment of the need to create the protections for, for us for national security. So I think it'll be all those areas. Um, and and it's really around the, the key technologies that drive it. Um, Bill, and then we'll go to Michael. Sure. Um, so I, I I just heard a report uh, the other day that evidently there um, there's the pot potential for a land bridge uh, to uh, help mitigate the problem in the in the Red Sea going across. Interestingly enough, going across Saudi Arabia and exiting out uh, ports in uh, in Jordan and Israel, and evidently it's it's sort of a, a halfway solution. It's it's not as cheap as what it was, but it's slightly less expensive than um, uh, than going around the horn. So I was, I was just curious if if you had heard about that one, because um, that would be very hard. <laughs> Did they say when it was going to be built? Uh, I think I think it is kind of in process because they're able to use the existing ports and as well as the existing uh, road infrastructure. Needless to say, there there is the the potential. For uh, for for running into action, enemy action, if you will, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, it it looks like that's that's beginning to get underway now. So you know, a, I think I think Bill, you're going to find that when we're in crises like this or cons or fears like this, that uh, alternatives are developed to reduce the risk. And I think de-risking is a theme that uh, uh, Europe and the U.S. are using, and others are using. I think China's looking at de-risking too of their dependencies and i think this is one of the elements of de-risking uh that's going on around the world and everyone hates it if they're being de-risked but they love it if they're the ones de-risking <laughs> so uh that'll set up for some more uh strife and uh stress between nations michael hammer yes Stephen. so you touched on energy a topic near and dear to my heart um I'd be interested in your thoughts on the pause in permitting for LNG terminals. One of the arguments is, well, um, we need to ensure that prices aren't high in the uh, U.S., but today natural gas is at 207, um, and, and we're in the middle of winter, which is traditionally when it should be higher. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I didn't understand the policy. I understood the question. I didn't understand the policy. Um, I think it's, uh, we're in election year. I'll leave it at that. 
I, I wouldn't consider it good energy policy if you're, that's what you're asking, Michael. Okay. Uh, but others might. Uh, I, I, I think it's very political. I, I also think yesterday there was something really fascinating that happened that turned around the market that I don't think people were, were focused on. Uh, but uh, Janet Yellen announced that the issuance of treasuries was going to be less than the market expected. And there was a or and there's a worry that uh, we wouldn't have the uptake that would push rates up again, and uh, I think as the uh, uh, as an appointed position of Secretary of Treasury uh, that that was a helpful move for the administration. Leave it at that. Uh, Adam, Adam Blanco, you're on mute. There you go. Thank you, Stephen. Great presentation as always, and good to see you yesterday. Um, you as well. Sorry. That that's okay. Pizza was great. Um, my question is about energy in Europe, in particular, and the the impact it's having on on businesses there. Germany. I had I had a good discussion with Michael Spey yesterday about the uh, the the dependence of of energy, Germany's dependence on energy um, from Russia. And as I understood from Michael, that has been resolved with, with the substitution of energy coming out of solar. And I bet, I believe it was uh, nuclear and wind, wind, solar and wind. So my question is 50% actually has been replaced of that energy coming out of Russia. So my question is the rest of Europe, how is the rest of Europe? Um, because it wasn't only Germany that was dependent on Russian, cheap Russian energy. It's also Hungary, Czech Republic, um, and I believe Spain, other, other parts of Europe were dependent on it. So that's my question. How is the rest of Europe doing uh it's different. It's different in each country. Economies. It's different in each country, but the, the one thing that's common, I believe, across most European nations, and somebody from Europe will correct me on this, is that yeah. the massive subsidies that are being put forth by governments are helping offset the problem, and they can't afford to keep doing that. And it's also pulling back money from going to other needed things to move the economies forward. So I think it's, I think they're taking the steps to reduce the, the challenge, but I don't think it'll, I think it'll take a while to solve it. And Marius, you're here. Uh, yes. <laughs> we got this. Hello? I, I think I got, I think I'm getting the hook. <laughs> Hello? Now with with the war and stuff, we with like the subsidies in Germany, energy subsidies and restrictions all around that. Yes, probably right. Yeah. Sorry, we're having some uh, background music now, so I think karaoke will be starting up in a couple minutes again. Um, sorry about Hello. that. Well, uh, Andrew Voss, uh, Mark, how do you want to do this? Stephen, great to be with you. Quick question: I think it was we'll Michael Savage. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, I think it was Michael Savage that was part of the group. I hope I got his name right. Was talking about the vulnerability of our grid 
And my question is how that intersects with what Hank Rogers is working on with his batteries. Do you see a trend with Americans trying to get off the grid or global citizens trying to get off the grid with that increasing threat with EMPs? Stephen, you can let Hank talk. He's right next to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Hank speak. And uh, he just moved into another conversation. But Hank, um, they asked you to answer a question about the uh, the switch to, to alternative sources of energy in the U.S. because of the problems that exist. So um, I'll let you take it. And, uh, Andrew, do you want to repeat the question now that Hank's here? Please. Andrew? Sure. Yeah, I was just talking about what uh, Mr. Savage presented here at the conference regarding the vulnerability of our electrical grid and how that intersects, Hank, with what you've been working on with your batteries. And if Stephen sees a trend towards Americans getting off uh, off the grid and and going towards alternatives like your batteries. Yeah, so uh, you know, I have a lot of my customers because we have the high end batteries that that never fail. Um, we have a lot of prepper uh, customers, so I do see an uptake in that in that area. Um, most people can't afford it. That's a problem. Um, and the government, the government is really slow to react on, on that vulnerability. So, yes, we should uh, be doing more, more microgrids, more, in the, more grid defection. But look at Florida, for example. <laughs> Rooftop solar is not even allowed. It, it, it makes no sense. So <clears throat> what you have in Florida is you have a move towards renewables, but it's all centralized. And centralized means wires. Wires means um, a vulnerability. Um, not only do you lose when you transmit, but you also subject yourself to that EMP problem. So I have conversations uh, from time to time with the EMP people. Um, it's not central to my business. It may be going forward. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a big deal. One of the deals that we're working on um, is with the FAA, and it's to harden airports. So all of the controls for landing and, and taking off need to be islanded. That, that means they can't be connected to the grid or or to the um, uh, internet in any way. And so that's one of our projects. So that's that's very promising. Uh, we're doing one, uh, our first one in Puerto Rico right now. And it looks like there's uh, 2,000 airports waiting for us to be <laughs> islanded, uh, so to speak, because that's, you know, can you imagine an EMP and, and you have yep. all the planes in the air? And all of a sudden, they don't know, don't know when to land or where to land or that. So I think that is a huge thing that needs to be solved quickly. Um, but anyway, that's, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely vulnerable. And I think the governments and corporations are going to look to find ways to get uh, backups better than they have right now to do what Hank just mentioned for airports. If you're, if you're Google, Microsoft, all those guys, they're going to be looking at their vulnerabilities as well, particularly with all the data centers and the like. So there's going to be massive need to get that, uh, get the backups right and the dependency so that we, we're, we're not as vulnerable as we are, but we are extremely vulnerable right now. And it's, it's years of mismanagement. The grid is uh, uh, probably uh, almost double its useful life or getting close to double its useful life, I think is the number they're saying. Certainly, at its past, it's useful life in terms of where it's been. Now, that's the infrastructure in the U.S. We've been in denial for decades now, and we're trying to catch up. And some of the programs from the Biden administration have been helpful there, but is it too little, too late? Is going to be one of the questions. Or how do we how do we 
uh, move forward as fast as we'd like. I think it's going to be and a challenge. There's a lot of pushback on the part of utilities um, in terms of going to a new paradigm. They, you know, like if you've got the uh, uh, hurricane example in, in, in Puerto Rico, there's the push by the um, part of the day saying, let's, you know, or FEMA even saying that you've got to build back what was there before, which is the dumbest thing you can do. You have to, if you have the money to fix something somewhere, build back better, build yeah. it in a different way, build, build back resilience. And, and that's the one thing that we're, we're just not doing enough of. And I, I want to let Marius speak because we have the example of what's going on in Ukraine and Europe too. Um, oh, no, no, sure. I mean, we, 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 are, we are facing this, that, uh, that we, uh, uh, subsidizing in Germany uh, just to uh, make the industry survive, and and you can really see this it's, it's backlash overall because we're now cutting the, the subsidies, and now the the kind of it's, it's it was just a postponing of of the effects of the war, mm -hmm. and that's why the whole uh, demonstrations on the streets and, and so on. But I wanted to add uh, something what uh, what you've been just talking about. Like I mean, uh, is there an interest? to decentralize uh, power distribution power right like because there are already companies out there which are offering to consumers that they just basically sign a paper that they in the future pay the same price but and a company takes care of uh, making them uh, off-grid uh, uh, compatible by placing uh, solar panels and batteries and stuff i don't know if you have this in america but this is kind of i mean a pretty obvious thing to do yeah, I think uh, the other area that I think you'll see a, an increase of for redundancy for backup power is going to be uh, small nuclear reactors, small modular reactors, and, and that area, which is also not viewed as as a really positive thing. But I think as we think about nuclear, uh, I went to college three miles or fifteen miles away from Three Mile Island when it blew up in the seventies, uh, and I think the mindset is still the fear of nuclear as opposed to doing it right and with the advance of technology how it could be safer and when you're doing the smaller reactors there's an opportunity to provide backup and redundancy there so uh there's a lot of ways we can we can handle this and and be better at it but we gotta again it's limited resources the governments only have so much money and they have high debts so how do you get past this and that oh. you, you need growth to do that Go ahead, so, Mark. Stephen, Stephen, can i just comment um well that that requires actual uh collaboration in the in congress but what, what are you hearing? I'm hearing the, that there's a, a border compromise that's come together. Have you heard this? Uh, I did not see the border compromise. Okay. Well, obviously, what, but the, what is it? What point, are they saying? No one like. Well, it was. I I just got it on. Pelosi was 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 uh, echoing that there's they're not getting everything they want, but there's some uh, urgency. And there's a lot of politics around that, but just but to your earlier points, it's all about you know you, you, to have a policy, you actually need to to collaborate. And yeah, uh, uh, I forget who Andrew Buss. I think you're up next, and then we'll get Marion and then and, Andrew Randak. Maybe let Andrew Randak because he hasn't commented yet. Okay, yeah, Andrew I'm, Randak. I'm Thank you. Andrew, hey guys, thank you very much. Great, great to be back here. Uh, hope you can hear me. Yep, my mute is off. Um, yep. Wanted to comment on personal experience uh, regarding the transition. Uh, last year, we converted our house to solar, but we are not off the grid. We're still connected to the grid. It was a highly calibrated exercise with 
to the Sun Run, where we went through lots of different climate models to figure out what my lease rate should be. Um, and since it was installed, we've underproduced massively because it's been so wet and cloudy in Connecticut. And I feel like I'm a farmer now and that I'm highly dependent on weather patterns, uh, rain conditions, humidity in the air. Uh, so if most people want to go through the energy transition, they have to change the way they think about how energy is produced. And you have to start thinking like a farmer. Uh, it's something I've learned to my detriment. So wanted to stick that out there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Marin? Uh, Marin, you have a comment? I do. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, so, um, so I'm actually, I'm seeing this trend globally. Um, I, I work with properties that want to transition and go off grid, not just residential properties, but large commercial properties, as well as hotels and things like this. Um, there's a massive global shift into wanting to go off of off grid because of many different, many different capabilities that, um, that they, that can happen when you do go off grid. Um, one being that the power grid itself, I actually, I met, um, I met the gentleman who, um, who is in charge of the Western power grid for the United States. And I asked him what keeps him up at night. And he said that we are only as strong as our weakest link and that, um, there are many weak links in the system for the grid. So, um, my, my, my sentiment is that sometimes, uh, perhaps it's not a question of what, of if it's a question of when, so a lot of a lot of properties, due to natural disasters and other factors, do want to be off grid and have their own self sustainable energy source as well as um, food and water resources. So I'm seeing this trend globally, and that's why we're building our light space global marketplace to connect properties with innovators that can help them to go off grid. So this is what I specialize in every day. And if anyone wants to do a deeper dive on this. I'm very available and happy to have that deeper dive and and also offer Lightspace as a solution to this to accelerate the adoptability of renewable energy solutions in real estate properties, both residential and commercial, and also and also really to help right. to be help people to be more safe and secure moving forward in this next decade. So thank you. Okay. I'm happy Thanks, I'm happy Mary. to that. Of course. Thank you. Okay. Andrew? Separate but related to national security, any comments on the 700,000 plus truckers that have descended upon Texas with the contextual backdrop of the border issue? Yeah, I think that I think we're going to have a movement of protests around the world. You're seeing it with farmers, you're seeing it with truckers in Europe, you're seeing it. <laughs> We're going to see it in other areas as well. Somebody, somebody just came and interrupted the group. Sorry about that. Um, I think, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew, we just got thrown off track. Could you ask that again, please? Sorry. Yeah, I was just asking the comment on, you know, we saw the truckers protesting in Canada. Oh, yeah. Too long so, yeah, I think, I think they're, I think people have had it. I think they're, uh, I think the, Problem for governments is we have so many problems to solve and the politicians don't want to prioritize them because it's hard to get elected if you told the, you know, what I'm only going to do three things. And sorry, a lot of people are going to get what they want. 
particularly when the vote is so close in the U.S. for the election. It's probably going to be, you know, a couple hundred thousand people determining uh, who who goes. So I think we keep doing a lot of little things that don't give you the, the impact that you need to make transitions. And I think that's going to be one of the big problems is uh, too many needs, too little planning and not enough resources to meet them. So I, I think you'll see more protests. And I think that's going to politicians will react to those protests and it'll lead to not the best policies. Uh, we'll spread the we'll spread the limited money around and not get the impact that we need out of it. So I think that's what you're seeing there. It's also the immigration is such a hot issue around the world um, because of the fear of losing jobs and and the impact on on uh, nations. We're not ready for the influx because they have so many internal problems. And Europe is one of the big areas where immigration is. Uh, uh, is a hot issue that's going to continue to be a very uh, third rail political one. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Mark, back to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was just, I was just trying to find the uh, border compromise. Uh, it's not done, but it's just, it, it's the, both sides are indicating that they've uh, come to some agreement. So, uh, what they're supposed to hear in the next day or two. That sort of speaks to what Andrew was talking about. Yep. Yeah. No one's happy. That's that's actually that's how Congress should work. Um, the, uh, any other the, comments, the questions between, before we break? Just that, Mark, the fight between Abbott and in Texas and the government, and we're getting back to states' rights versus uh, government again, is actually a throwback <laughs> to civil wars, <laughs> to the Civil War. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, uh, you know, and he continues to push people back to the other states that are not aligned with him politically, uh, as we're seeing in New York. So it's going to, it's got to get resolved quickly because it's a crisis. It's a crisis. Mike, will you? Michael Hammer, did you have a comment on that then? Uh, you know, Sorry, I always have comments. I know, um, but yeah. so the first question is will it pass, particularly in the House? Um, and even if it does, will the Freedom Caucus folks uh, cause Johnson to lose his job over it? Um, so we live in interesting times because, as in, and I know you don't like getting into the politics of things, but Donald Trump's basically trying to sabotage the problem so Biden doesn't have a win before the election. And so, you know, a lot of this is not about logic and getting things done. It's about the politics of it. No, I hear you. Jason, Jason. Oh, yeah, Stephen. Steve, Stephen, fantastic presentation, uh, as usual. Now, let's um, business investment, as we know, is really 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. So, folks, of course, governance, ethics, and laws are super important. Um, assuming the probability, it's a probability game. So, assuming the probability is high that Trump is going to be in, whether the VP is going to be Vivek or someone else, of course, politicians, they want to kind of diversify getting max votes. So 